0: Well, hey, friends, just in time for the holidays, I have an amazing guest for you that's going to be talking with us about how to have those hard conversations. What's so interesting is, is what he presents is in the context of leadership, accountability, leading teams, really helping people get to the next level. But as I prepared for you tonight, I was thinking about the hard conversations in our personal lives. You know, the holidays kind of bring out the crazy. All the relatives are gathered together and those weird, awkward moments come up. You are going to learn so much from this interview. It truly is a masterclass. So grab a notebook and pen and get ready to completely up-level your communication style. You're listening to Living a Limitless Life, I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we cover mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be. Every week, I bring you a candid conversation with world-class thought leaders, change makers, and hope dealers. They work in every arena from the boardroom to politics to churches and synagogues. This show is where you need to be to get where you want to go. All right, friends, I'm really glad you're here. Come on. Let's do this.
1: Dale Carnegie of Orange County is proud to sponsor Living a Limitless Life. Dale Carnegie is a global training company focused on leadership presentation, team engagement, customer service, and sales. We help people take command of their work in order to change their lives.
0: Joining me on the show today is Adrienne Kohler, a performance coach, leadership trainer, and president at Take New Ground. Welcome to the show, Adrian.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Sharon.
0: I'm so excited to have you on because you speak my language and the language of my listeners. So I can't wait to get into the content today.
1: Yeah, me too, honored.
0: So one of the things that you really like to talk about is surviving difficult conversations. So let's just jump right into that and maybe you could set it up for us of how that became something that you focused on and you saw that need.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting. You know, I mean, let's see in the, in my experience, just as a human being, um, as a leader, I mean, I, I've been in leadership conversations or roles since I can remember, and I don't yet know why. Right. It's like, like some things you choose and some things seems to, seem to choose you or just seem to make sense.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, so like the idea of uh, being in relationships with other people and having a type of relationship that moves that, that relationship forward or moves a team forward or an initiative forward or a, a, a mission forward or an organization, whatever it was. That, I mean, for me, that seemed to be something that was worth doing. And I I have forever been uncomfortable with like stagnation
2: mm-hmm.
1: or like the feeling of of something like not moving forward and and part of that is from the, probably from some kind of healthy or helpful framework and part of it comes out of like fear and angst like you know projecting <laughs> right. like you know <laughs> what if things don't get better how do I make my life work and and that type of thing but you know the the idea of like wanting seeking some sense of internal progress or that life is moving in the way that I want it to move or I'm becoming the person I want to become. Uh, if I, you know, if you decide to have, I mean, you might call that a vision, right? If you have some sense of desire for something to move forward or some future to happen, um, typically the only thing that happens next is, is a need, a desire to find a way to talk about, that future and a way to talk about current reality in a way that's like honest and approachable. And once you do that, then you're like what I call like flipping the lights on. Like if Mm -hmm. as a leader, as a person that's up to something, if you're able to articulate what's happening right now um, in the context of relationships, you'll find that other people are in different places Mm
3: -hmm. in the
1: conversation. Right. And in order, if there's a possibility for you guys to move together, into that future, what will be needed is what some people would call like a difficult conversation, right? Uh, because there's an alignment needed, and and there's there are plenty of reasons why we aren't aligned right now, like in a steady state, like at the static, you know. And so, in order to negotiate those interests, those mutual, those those, uh, I guess, differing interests, uh, you need to have a way to actually talk about them that keeps the person engaged, um, and find aligned interests. And most of us, I mean, nobody teaches us this stuff. Right. Right? Uh, this ought to be what they talk about in college or what they talk about in high school is how to actually have a conversation with someone that you don't agree with or someone that disagrees with you or someone you don't like or someone that doesn't like you.
0: Right. But and have is, it be a, healthy, right? Have it be healthy. Resulting My, to um, name calling and like all the stuff yeah. we see on social media.
1: That's right.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: I'm, I mean, whenever... Uh, there are plenty of things that the human brain does for us that we don't ask it to do and it, that, don't, that doesn't help us. Like right. whenever I've got a difference with someone, the human brain uh, can't help itself from wanting to be right about my own perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like this is just a survival need. We talk about survival needs in our work, which we, which we talk about looking good, feeling good, being right, being in control. Like mm-hmm. those are the 21st central survival needs. We don't have to run from saber tooth tigers anymore. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not like a fear, like dying, physical death all the time. Uh, right. But survival is around ego survival. Right. So uh, your brain is, is always out to prove yourself right about what you think, which makes sense to the brain because I need to be right about what I think because I'm going to take action on what I think. And this is just the inherent drift of humanity is spending time thinking about how I'm right. and Naturally, um, and not necessarily helpfully, but naturally, one of the ways we do that is think about how I'm right and how the other person isn't.
0: Right. Now, do you think, because this is my own personal thought, is that we should help other people be right. Do you agree with that?
1: That's an interesting idea. Well, here's what I would say. I mean, in our our work we talk about, you know, nobody makes a stupid decision. Mm And by that we mean is that everybody makes the best decision they see in the moment. Right. Operative phrase: they see right because mm-hmm. we're we uh, and we only know that like as a fact because if they saw something else, they would have done that. Right. Like we talk about, like you know, results are the proof of intention. Mm-hmm. Right. Not some story mm-hmm. about I was trying to blah blah blah. No, no. What happened right. it actually proves what we're up to. So to get to your question um, I I think it's, I think it's great to honor someone else's opinion if you want to connect with them. Right. I mean, if you want to partner with them to create something together um, you better be willing to get connected to not only what their opinion is. I mean, their opinion is tip is, is typically window dressing to what their typically unspoken uh, interests, concerns, fears, desires, all that stuff going on behind the scenes. And it comes out like an opinion. Right. Um, So uh, if you want to get to those conversations behind the veil, you better have room for honoring or at least being curious about why they think that thing that's so different than what you think.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So I guess the bigger question is, is can we let go of our ego long enough To actually let somebody else be right and hear what they have to say rather than what we see going on in workplaces and in personal relationships of the arguing, the backbiting, even taking it so far as vilifying somebody else and not allowing any margin of space for somebody to have miscalculated or misspoke or just missed the mark out of being human.
1: Yeah. Well- nobody has a corner on the truth, but we all have the right to our own reality. Mm-hmm. You know, and what I, I don't know if that makes sense to folks, but what I mean by that is, I mean, there's very little, there's very little objective reality. And by that, I mean, there are facts that happen and things that happen out there. And those are data points. Mm-hmm. Um, but those really don't matter. And by that, I mean, most, we, we, you know, people live in reaction to what they think about what happened, not what happened. Right. Right. So we all have the right to our own perspective and we live out of our own perspective. And I say that like gravity. I mean, if, because I, I mean, the neuroscience proves that that's true, that the, you know, the facts of the world are the canvas and we live out of the interpretation of the facts and interpretation equals like significances, um, implications, uh, how it affects me, how it affects others—a conversation about morality. We all live in this interpretation of what's, of what has happened, um, and everybody has the right to their own interpretation. Now, that interpretation might serve or might not serve, might be selfish or might be selfless, might be generous, might be scarce. That all comes out of uh, of the natural state and and position of being a human being. Like we've got to make up something about the world, mm-hmm. so. Yes. I mean, to honor someone else's vantage point um, is their only way to get through to see if what it will take to actually align around a mutual view of the future we want together and a mutual view of what's happening right now. I'll just tell a quick story, even from a conversation with a client yesterday. She's a very influential person at a big firm in town, and uh, she's talking to the president of the firm. And they've got some issues that are happening between her team and she runs, she runs a big, significant portion of this firm and the other team. And there are multiple players at, at uh, involved in the process and what's there's, there's breakdown that's happening now when there's breakdown. And I might say breakdown, I mean just the difference between what we say we want to see happening and what's happening now,
2: mm-hmm. that's
1: just breakdown. Like there's a distinction between what we said we wanted and what's happening. And, Uh, the challenge is, is that she is very committed to fixing this thing, Mm -hmm. but she's not the only person in the system, right? So she's dealing with all these very powerful people that are, that are, um, have the authority to make a difference here, but they haven't yet taken responsibility to make a difference here. And those two things are very different. Mm -hmm. right? Right. So my end conversation with her is, well, you guys haven't yet decided on what's true. There's a big difference back to what's between what's real and what's true because they've got their story about, about what's real, meaning they've got a lot of things like we can't change that. If we talk to this guy, we'd have to fire him and we can't. And if we did, the firm would look like this and da da There's lots of fears they've gotten concerns they've got, which is those fears and concerns and the, their prioritization, uh, prioritization of those fears and concerns is what's telling them there's nothing to be done. Okay. And so they, they, they aren't able, aren't willing, really, aren't willing to see the severity of the issue. Because if they were willing to see the severity of the issue, then that would call them into action. They prefer not, they don't want to take the action, so they can't see the data that would call them into it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? So they are now, and what she's, what they've been doing is fighting about symptoms. Like That's behavior is a, a symptom. a
0: common, common pattern.
1: That's right. Like, yes. oh, this guy, this guy is cynical at work, right? This guy's toxic. That's a symptom. Toxicity mm-hmm. is a symptom. It's not the cause. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's been willing to play this game of dancing around, talking about symptomology, and nobody's yet willing to have the real clearing conversation, which would talk about implications. What's at stake here? Mm-hmm. What's worth changing? You know, is there, if we don't, if we don't do something new, what kind of, kind of hell is on the way? If we do do something new, what kind of heaven's on the way,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, as an allegory, right? So, right. and they don't have, they don't want, they don't want to have that conversation. So they're, they're, they're up until now, at least they've just been talking about symptoms and it's been very, this is when people say things are political mm-hmm. or things are like siloed really past that. There's no vision for what could happen if we partner together.
0: Right, so what would be the first step for somebody that's listening and is saying, "Oh my gosh, as you're telling this story, this is exactly what's going on, where yeah. I sit and with my team and the teams I collaborate with, what is my first step?
1: Yeah well, for me, the first step is always internal. Like for me, I mean, I, I, I consider myself the number one asset in my world, not as not as pride or arrogance. But I know that if I'm not leading myself, there's really no opportunity out there. Right. Right. Because if if I'm if I'm a wild card to myself, if I can't actually get a hold of my machinery, machinery for me is like my thinking and my attitudes. If I'm not honestly connected to my own either authenticity or inauthenticity, integrity or lack of integrity. Um, And those are not moral conversations for me at all. Just like, am I integrated? Am I connected to myself? Do I know what's really going on for me? If I don't, then it's really, it's it's going to be a challenge to provoke or summon up authenticity for somebody else because I've got mixed messages.
0: You know, I think that's such a valid point because we can only control ourselves. We can't control the teams that we lead or our spouses or anything else. So that is the first gut check right there. That's the first gut check.
1: And there's a big distinction between control and influence, mm-hmm. right? So some people say I can't control and they use that as the escape hatch, meaning I'm out. Right. And I mean, depending on what you're up to in life, I'm, I'm committed to making the biggest impact I can. Um, and h- being a biggest service and making a contribution I can. So, uh, IE I'm, I'm up for poking the bear when we need to, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: just cause I, you know, I'm committed. I mean, even in my own spiritual life, my 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 view of my spiritual life is there's a there's an overarching arc, overarching arc to history, uh, mm-hmm. of redemption, and that the world's made to get better, and that my my view of God, higher power, whatever you want to call it, is like a global advocate. Mm-hmm. So if I believe that, then I'm up for that. I'm up for advocating for the best in every single situation, and to get there, in order to get anything that's best or to get anything that's new, especially. Um, we have to locate ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that's the first, that's why that's the, for me, the first step, I got to locate myself. Mm-hmm. Like Where am I? Socrates would say like me here now, that's the dilemma. Yeah. So, so if I, if I'm willing to do that and I actually, if let's say, let's say if we play out the scenario, let's say I've got conflict on my team. Okay. First, I got to find out what I really want. Mm-hmm. Um, because that will be the North Star, right? It, right. It vit, a vit, we call vision like a future worth having. Um, and for me, the operative phrase, and they're worth having, i.e. There's something in the future that I want that's worth a sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Cause we'd love, I'd love a Sunday drive into my future. That's glorious, but that ain't happening. At least my experience. I mean, sometimes <laughs> things work, you know, and it seems serendipitous or orchestrated or providential or whatever. Sometimes it's like that, but that's not, I mean, that's usually not coming like a walk down easy street and, uh, and even sometimes that's the conversations that's going on for all of us, that's invisible to us, is like, it shouldn't be this hard.
0: Yeah, a lot of us feel that way.
1: Yeah, Hashtag life shouldn't be this hard. <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: life shouldn't be this hard. You know, but uh, a marriage shouldn't be this hard. Mm-hmm. Um, they ought to know better what's wrong, you know, which is all code for. They ought to agree with me about what we should be doing right now. Mm-hmm. So, if I locate myself and actually know where I stand, right? You know, if I have any convictions about the future, if I'm leading, I need to have some conviction about the future that I'm, that I'm paid, that I'm paid to go create. Uh, so if I can do that and then if I cannot see others as the barrier, there's a distinction here, right? So right. a lot of us will start to judge them and mm-hmm. say that Tom is the problem. And what we talk about is let's be soft on the person, hard on the problem. Because mm, Tom's, Tom's also an individual mm-hmm. that's got his own set of concerns. Right. And he's got his own fears and his own baggage and his own questions about himself and his own inadequacies and his own, no matter what. I mean, I coach only type A driving types and all of us have plenty of stuff going on behind the scenes. Most top tier leaders don't have a space to talk about it.
2: Mm.
1: and it's a haunting and we can most top tier leaders try to outrun it i know i did that for many years just try to outrun it
0: so how did that play out for you when you tried to outrun it did you burn out
1: oh it was um it was the best of both worlds so (laughs) i mean you tell (laughs) meaning (laughs) depending on how long this this podcast wants to be i mean the, the bullet point of it is this is like you know if i if I was running from some kind of internal, internal angst about some existential angst, you know, like Mm -hmm. needing to make something happen, needing to make something of myself really desperate to make a difference. Mm -hmm. That was both something that was altruistic and helpful for others and something that was a cure or seemed like a cure for me. Mm. Right? So therefore I lived a really big life and did a whole bunch and have had multiple careers and have had really amazing experiences lot of success early in life, great opportunities, some of which I could easily point to the ones that I've earned. Lots of, lots of which I quote unquote happened to be in the right place in the right time, which I don't think that phrase is usually ever true. You've usually had the eyes to see the opportunity when it was there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, got to influence thousands and thousands of people. Um, and that was really amazing. And it didn't help the real issues behind, which were like, I was still out to really decide who I was. And, you know, now I was just this morning journaling about, um, because I woke up kind of angsty about the day, a little bit behind, it's Friday. Um, There's like promises from earlier in the week that were still bothering me that I hadn't yet delivered on. There were some things happening today that I was uncertain about and had some fear about. Um, And I wrote down, it's like, can you, not be perfect today. Yes. Great. Mm,
0: that's a good one. This is you know? the deep work. I just want to this say, deep... this is the deep work of what that's you it. just said, deciding <laughs> yeah. who you are.
1: Yeah. Well, there's a sign on my wall right here in front of me. It says, love your imperfection. Mm.
0: Um, and so many people don't, they fight it. They hate their imperfection because that's right. they think it's a sign of weakness.
1: Well, the math, that, that was, the math was off for me too. Just like all those folks, the math was off for me. The math then was, um, either get it all together or mm-hmm. act like it. Right. And that's pretty rough because it's impossible to get it all together. Right. I mean, now I say ideal is a bad deal um, to myself. <laughs> Whenever I find myself wanting, needing, really needing things to go a certain way for me to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm there, I'm in trouble, right? Cause now circumstances, other people's responses, the world outside needs to be orchestrated so that I feel okay. That's a pretty rough, that's a pretty rough hand to play. Yeah. And it's not going to work out. Um, so, you know, even when I woke up this morning, I just said, you know, it, uh, are you OK with like, not being perfect today? And then I just said, you know, practice radical self-acceptance, mm. which is reality is um, there's a few conversations I needed to have. They might or might not get done today.
2: Mm-hmm. There's a
1: few people that I feel behind in communication with. I'm making up that they're disappointed. I don't know that that's true.
0: That's really good,
1: right? Like, there's a call from a close friend on on. He called on Wednesday. Today's Friday. I'm feeling like already in the moment this morning when I woke up. Oh, he's upset that I didn't call him back yesterday. Mm. That's what I'm. That's reality. Meaning, like, what I'm making up about what's true. I don't know if that's true. Right. But anyway, this is the game, right? This is the filter. Right. So, I mean, for me, uh, just to wrap up on the other thing, you know, like I ended up building a really great life of activity but Mm -hmm. i hadn't really resolved or tested the tested that exact math where it's like hey can i be broken Mm -hmm. can i have like imperfections can i have insecurities can i have doubts can i have some terrible decisions
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so can you be human
1: can i be human (laughs) that's right and and can i be honest about that and trust that what's on the other side of those types of conversations is actually more rich and more real than this.
0: You know what? I equate this to the superhero syndrome. I think men are expected to be Superman and women need to be Wonder Woman. Occasionally yeah. Catwoman, but Wonder Woman predominantly. <laughs> it's so much pressure.
1: It is. It is. And we go through, we go through, I went, was going through life with a growing sense of what I would call despair. Mm-hmm. Um, that was on the, underneath the waters, right? And it might it might show up, and people might diagnose something as depression or something like that, or right. Um, but it was like a despair, like hey, like because I because there was a case that I was building that hey, if I if I ever talk about this series of issues that I had going on at the time, that it was going to ruin everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so the the math on that was I just try to outrun this, which most Type A people do, right? right. Just outrun it, outrun the abyss is what I used to, I used to call it. The abyss um, outrun it. And I could do that for a long time Mm -hmm. and distract myself for a long time. And either with, either with experiences Mm -hmm. or activities or ambition or other people, I really hid in helping other people. I wouldn't have called it that at the time. And that wasn't all that was happening, but it was a big payoff for me. And like, Mm -hmm. like being concerned about other people was a way to avoid my concerns.
0: Okay. Pause right there. That is deep. So many people are not dealing with their stuff and they're hiding, just like you said. And sometimes it steps into self-medicating with different things. It doesn't necessarily have to be substance abuse, but self-medicating with um, people fixing.
1: That's right. For sure. For sure. Yeah. And it was across the board for me, across the board, you know, really you know, utilizing for me, it was alcohol, utilizing alcohol to avoid to just essentially to check out, like to, to yeah. try to get out of my concerns mm-hmm. and avoid myself, avoid other people or you'd be hyper. I mean, codependency is, is Cute. so rampant. I mean, we don't call it that, um, most of the time. And when we do call it that we act like, uh, what do we act like? We act like we're suffering from it. Mm-hmm. instead of we're using it,
2: mm-hmm.
1: which is like a, more like a responsible framework on it. Like, how do I use codependency? How do I use for me, uh, in that model, I'd be like a caretaker, right? So mm-hmm. if you're committed to being a caretaker, then you got to sur- surround yourself by people that need your help. Right. Right. And I was using that conversation and that that position to really avoid leadership.
0: Oh, how interesting. So, how did you get that aha moment where you're like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing. I'm an avoider.
1: <laughs>
0: how much time do we have? <laughs> how much time do we have?
1: <laughs> oh, well, um, you know, I started getting consequences, essentially, oh, essentially. I mean, I mean, uh, on the, yeah, I mean, on the, on the, on the first, let's see. I mean, the consequences trickle in, right? You start to see some distance between, you know, yourself and other people um, even just internally for you might not be from them. Like you get, you start to feel really disconnected and I I started to feel really disconnected. Mm -hmm. And then at some point, you know, at least for me at some point, you know, it's, it starts with like me creating a story about what's happening to justify what's happening. And then me creating a story about what's happening to like avoid talking about it. And then eventually you end up, at least for me, I built a, 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 a pretty strong double lifestyle. Like there was the one, there was the, the reality that I was managing, part of it was really public, part of it was really private. And you started to get really disconnected and finally get some consequences for me. I finally wrecked a car and and got to say, Hey man, you got some issues and needing, uh, all of a sudden needing help wasn't a choice.
2: Mm
1: Well, it always was a choice. I mean, I guess that's a little bit. But you
0: were avoiding.
1: I was avoiding. And I mean. I I even just, I even say it now. I mean, and this, like three years ago was a big breaking point for me, which was glorious, was horrible and glorious um, at the same time, which my experience, most suffering, if we want to, most suffering is the context for transformation. If we want to. I
0: believe so. I believe so too. It can be.
1: That's always available. There's plenty of people that have suffered. Right. A guy I just met with yesterday, plenty of people that have suffered and hold on to that suffering for a long time. And that suffering becomes the justification For why they can't do something else.
0: Well, isn't that the aspect of it becomes their identity and they don't know who to be if they're not suffering?
1: That's right. That's Mm -hmm. right. Because there's lots of payoffs to being the desperate one, to being the victimized one. I mean, you know, it's so easy, especially in this therapeutic culture we're in these days. Like, If we find a story about how hard our life was, it's now championed that the only next thing to do is to pat somebody on the back and say, it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm saying it's just half hearted. That's, that's neat. I mean, I listen, when I was going through suffering, I wanted somebody to pat me on the back and say it was okay. And I wanted somebody to love me enough to say, Hey man, I wonder what you did to create this. And if I'm willing to own how I contributed to the breakdown, then I can create something new, right? If I can get in the ownership seat, we call it,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: if I own how bad it got, um, then I can own how good it can get. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Right. So I've got choice back again. I'm not, I, you know, when I I, I was talking to this guy yesterday about the past, like either we leverage our past or we live in the past or we live in the present that our past offers us.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Right. So any, this is, I guess, in the context of the suffering, if, if I decide and at any point I can, if I decided that thing, that hardship, that mistake, that trial, that whatever made me a resilient man. Mm -hmm. Now, now, that is a gift to me. Mm-hmm. If I, I I could also decide that that thing has scarred me, has given me quote unquote trauma, right. and and not that there's not trauma, not that there's not scarring, not that there's not effect, but if I say that that is the effect of it, then I have to live in the context of what that thing, uh, what that allows me to have. And if that makes, does that make sense?
0: It makes sense. It's. It's a, I really think that people need to step back and go, oh, yeah, I have a choice. Do I want to take yeah. my power back yeah. or do I want to stay here? But so often they don't, they don't allow themselves to get to that place. Like, sure. We're in a culture of scrolling fr- through our phone. That's yeah. like the new addiction yeah. that nobody, like it doesn't seem like there's a consequence to it, but no. it keeps you constantly so distracted from dealing with yourself. Like, yeah. I literally will tell myself, stop scrolling. <laughs> stop looking at what everybody else is doing. Yeah. And sit with yourself.
1: That's right. I mean, when I, when I went through my period of transformation over the last three years, I actually got off social media for a year and a half. Ooh. Uh, only because um, I called it the envy machine. I mean, when you're going through, it's very easy. I mean, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's any human that doesn't do this. Like, compare their insides to somebody else's outsides. Yeah. You know, yeah. where it's, where we're looking for, you know, we're, we're comparing ourselves, our own experience to what we think their life feels like to them.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. My social media probably makes me look like I'm doing all these amazing things. I'm sitting here in pajamas while I'm talking to you.
1: Yes.
2: <laughs> you look great.
0: Oh, well, thanks. <laughs>
1: so, I mean, this, if we tie this into the, the conversation piece around like getting through some conflict. Yes. Because, I mean, inside world and outside world uh, are always connected. So because we typically are really hard on ourselves and maybe to tie all these ideas together, mm-hmm. we typically view our mistakes or our issues or our challenges, our internal things we're insecure about, whatever. We tend to, to carry those around so permanently. And that comes out like shame.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It comes out like judgment, right? So I'm not willing to reinvent myself. I'm not willing to let something go. Mm -hmm. I'm not willing to practice this radical self-acceptance. And because of that, the math is also the same externally, right? So let's say my coworker did this to me six months ago, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and I am living right now as if that is still happening. Right. We, that's that's the, the Latin for resentment is to re-feel. Like oh. when we say like having a resentment, which is like that. having a judgment that keeps coming up and up and up and up and over and over again because we we're committed to refeeling the effects of that thing instead of talking to that person about it. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times when we're having, quote, unquote, a difficult conversation, we're not talking to the person that's in front of us. We're talking to the person that's in front of us uh, that represents what I think is wrong with them. And we're not, we're not willing to like let them be a person right. like right now, right? We actually, you know, we're arguing um, with what they did to us six months ago.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the double standard right there is because is. we certainly want somebody to let us make mistakes and forget about what that's we right. did six months ago.
1: That's right. Yes. We, we, in our work, we call that attribution error. Like if, if I'm late to a meeting, I've got my 25 reasons why it was okay. If you're late to a meeting, it's a moral issue.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: It's a double standard. Right. So, so, but if we don't get that we're that in that conversation, we're there to prove something. Mm-hmm. Um, then we're in trouble because there's no possibility in that conversation, right? Because now it's about am I right or am I not yet right about it? And now the conversation is about convincing them about what's wrong with them or about mm-hmm. what they need to do mm-hmm. based on my view of the world. So we could be there to prove something, which most of us inherently go into do. We don't know right. that we're doing that, but we're there to do that. So it's just like, oh, yeah. What, I think what, I
0: might have done that once or twice. <clears throat>
1: no kidding. There's a, ph- there's a phenomenal book, by the way, called Conversational Intelligence, and it talks about these three layers of types of communication. One is transactional, like, hey, can you send me that, that thing over? Or, hey, here's $10 for the latte, whatever, at Starbucks these days. Um, that's transactional communication. There's the next layer up, which most of us that, are, that have some kind of ambition or have some kind of mission We're doing what they call positional communication, which is I'm there to convince you of my idea. Helpful. We need to do that. Um, Not always the most helpful. But the third layer is like a generative or collaborative communication where it's like, at least the image for me is instead of being on opposite sides of the table, we're both sitting on the same side of the table Mm -hmm. and dealing with the problem at hand or or creating the future together.
0: Okay, so That's, is that like the, the model for the new leadership? Let's sit side by side and figure this out together? Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. Instead of all the crazy that goes on out yeah. there. Yeah,
1: well, it, it's the next version of empathy. Right now, right. empathy was like a big move for us as a society, like mm-hmm. getting connected to our feelings, which is wonderful. We, we ought to get connected to what's going on for us internally. And I'm saying the next layer of communication is now Can I also take those feelings and have them serve a bigger vision? Right. Because I don't want my feelings to be the vision. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of times that's the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I actually want something that I'm willing to position myself under and how I'm feeling in the moment. And that's just called discipline. So as a team, if we can, I mean, we see this all the time. Like there's always a corporate mission and then everyone has a personal mission. Mm-hmm. If it's voiced or not voiced and most corporate leaders don't take time or aren't willing to take the time. They don't want to know most of them about what they what the individual mission of all their players are on the team.
0: Why do you think that is?
1: Well, they don't want to know because they'd rather live in the naivete that everybody's on, in line with them. Mm. Like if they were misaligned, they would have to do something about it. If they're misaligned, they'd have to actually lead. If they're misaligned, they'd have to negotiate If they're a misaligned, they'd have to deal with some issues that they're unwilling to see. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'd rather just I'd rather keep somebody that's at 60 percent performance. um, Because all they make up about what they'd have to do if they actually were that honest about it, instead of saying, hey, I wonder how we can have a conversation about where we're headed, what everybody's interest is in that um, and what's missing for everybody. And it's not I think because leaders feel like it's their job to Mm -hmm. run everybody else's brain. They don't get that everybody else's internal vision is also their responsibility. Mm -hmm. It's not the leader's responsibility. Mm -hmm. My job is to help you be responsible for how you see the world, what you wanna get done, um, and what's running you right now. I mean, most people, after they hire someone, they quit interviewing them.
0: Mm -hmm. That's true
1: right? Because, oh, now I know Tom. Tom's great. Tom's in line. Well, you hired Tom five years ago. You haven't asked if he still wants to work here. <laughs> because there's plenty of results that would prove that Tom doesn't. But I don't want to ask about what's really going on for Tom. Um, and that's a challenge for folks. And this is why we've got a growing part of our company that's coming in and teaching executives, um, teaching people that are on the rise in the organization, teaching HR executives to Um, To come through our coaches' academy because the what we're part of what we're talking about there's an old leadership model which is about managing activity, right? And no bad, but part of why people are overwhelmed is that they're taking responsibility for what everyone else should be responsible for, Mm -hmm. and that's typically called management, right? And but what we're saying is if you manage results, if you are clear about and responsible for results, and then can partner with people to help them be responsible to do what it takes to reinvent themselves, to communicate in a way that's an opening for people to build collaboration, to get to creativity, to all these things, which is what coaches do. Great coaches Mm do um, that there's more possibility immediately. And I get my time back because I'm no longer micromanaging or passively managing. Usually some people do one of those. And it's like a passive aggressive thing. Like I don't want to be a micromanager because that became faux pas, 10 years ago. So I'd rather actually not manage at all and assume naively that they know what they're doing and that it's working. And then it doesn't work. And then I come back in and I'm hyper aggressive and now everybody fears me. And now that's this waxing and waning and nobody's responsible. They actually know that if they don't perform, the boss is going to come in and fix it. And anyway, we train now executive teams and HR departments and growing leaders um, to be able to lead manage from a coaching mindset, which illuminates so many more possibilities, um, than the typical management style. So that's what we're very excited about and have coaches academies going on in-house for companies and externally for people that want to come or people that want to learn how to coach. That's Cause awesome. that is, that is, I would say that's the next leadership style. Cause we ought to be, I mean, the, the world is, this will be, this will sound funny when I say it probably, I was going to say the world is more moving towards more human. And by that, I mean, we're starting to get a holistic sense like people are mm-hmm. stopping um, I mean a lot of people related to work like this is where I go sell out right I'm just gonna go have a job act like turn off part turn off part of my ambition turn off part of the part of me that wants to make life matter and I'm just got a job and I have to have it and da, da, da. um and people are really wanting a more integrated lifestyle
3: right
1: where it's like their work represents themselves their work right. makes them proud their work is where they come alive their work is not, it's not this work-life balance, false dichotomy. Mm-hmm. like They're enrolling their family in the mission at work. Mm. Um, and that's the, if we can't do that, then um, there's, there's tons of trouble, either at the work side or in the home side. And we work with lots of people where that's the issue. Um, but the world's moving more human, like we, we, it's, and it's becoming more conversational. So if leaders can't engage with the causal things in between somebody's ears, they're not going to lead in the future.
0: I agree with you wholeheartedly.
1: So if they can do that, um, then what's possible for the team is unprecedented. We don't know how great, I mean, a flow state, like the, we can be working together and nothing is off limits. We can have a type of partnership where, like I have, like say with my business partner, I love him, he loves me. We've got a lot of distinctives and what makes us good at our work. And we, we're very different as human beings as well. But I know he can, and he does bring things to me and I bring things to him um, and I, I assume, and I know it, even if it's true in the moment or not true in the moment, it's coming from a place of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Um, but because we come at each other with such a deep commitment to the future and such a deep commitment to each other, there's mm-hmm. no conversation off limits with us. There's no difficult conversation that we can't have.
0: Now, how hard did the two of you have to work to get to that place? Or did you guys just kind of have the personalities and the vision that just meshed so well that it just fell into place?
1: Well, there were some, good question. Um, There were, I mean, I had a lot of respect for him as soon as I met him. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's uh, 20 years older than I am. And so I wanted to learn from him
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and I knew his expertise and I wanted to partner with him because I knew I brought some expertise that he didn't have. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew if we worked together, it'd be really great. So there was an affinity towards him as an individual. There was affinity towards what he presenced, like his knowledge base and his capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, he is uh, he's phenomenal at our work. He's been doing it for a long time. He's probably the best in the world at it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's like watching Mozart uh, uh, write music. I mean, really, <laughs> really. So, um, and I mean, he, he saw in me a lot of possibilities well, like pr- pretty much saw a younger version of himself. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> you know, there was that affinity and then, but the, but listen, nothing is static, right? So those feelings 10 years ago don't matter today. I mean, I could be on a phone call with them and be so frustrated with him
2: mm-hmm.
1: right now, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, we've had, we've, we've had to be willing, well, in order to get the, I'll say it this way, in order to be, in order to get the relationship we want, we've had to lay the relationship on the line time and time and time again. Mm-hmm which most folks aren't willing to do for good reason. Right. Um, but scary. that's real. it is scary. And we don't know what's going to happen, which is why most of us say I'm not good at conflict, which is the code for I'd rather not be good at conflict, which is code for I don't like what content feel or conflict feels like, which is code for, I don't know what's going to happen to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the conversation.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And if we get, if we have a sense of self that we've crafted or believe or stand for, and by the way, sense of self for me, like I am what I'm committed to. That's, that's how I define myself. I am what I'm committed to. Um, if that's true for me, then I don't need any quote unquote tough conversation to go any certain way because mm-hmm. it's okay. I'm going to, whatever's there, whatever is revealed in the conflict um, will be just the new starting place for that relationship. Mm, that's good. That's it, right? That's the new, I mean, I use the analogy like you go to a mall, right? So you want to go to Nordstrom's or something, you walk in, if people go to the, to the directory and they look for one thing, which is the little star that says you are here. Mm-hmm. And we could not go find that star. We could wander the mall until we found it,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: some people live like that. Mm-hmm. Or if we are committed to getting there in the most efficient and effective way, we ought to figure out where we are first. Right and it makes doesn't sense. matter.
0: Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, no, that just makes perfect sense. Figure out where yeah. you are, figure out where yeah. you want to be.
1: That's right. And if I'm committed to a romantic relationship, not, not romantic between Dan and I like that way, I mean like <laughs> some fantasy about the, how the relationship is, then I won't have the real relationship because some days we're going to be close. Some days we're going to be frustrated with each other. Some days we're going to be frustrated with each other just because we're frustrated about what's happening or not happening.
3: Right. Right.
1: You know, but I I know for us, Mm -hmm. we've got a commitment to the work and commitment to our relationship that's beyond the experience of any moment. We'll pull through Mm. and have the experience together. Because most people, whenever they're disconnected, let's say a relationship is disconnected, um, most people actually would agree that neither one of them like the way it feels right now. Right. Right. And you know, being most of us can be, if we want to, be connected in the disconnection. So to sit down and say, hey, we're at odds together, aren't we? Yeah. I hate the way this feels. How about you? Yeah. What do we want to do here? You want to find a way to make this work? Yeah. And immediately you're on the same side of the table.
3: I love that.
1: We don't do it that way though, right? Like I don't like how it feels. And typically the brain is saying Mm -hmm. we need to come up with a why. Why do I not like how it feels? Most people blame themselves Mm -hmm. blame other people or blame the system, blame the it, the economy, the uh, marriage as an institution, Mm -hmm. the in-laws, whatever. Like we blame the it um, of it instead of just like slowing down and connecting with what's really going on. And what do we really want to do here? Yeah. And if you have a shared vision about what we want, um, then that can pull us through. Hmm. You know, it's like, it's like Brian holidays, the obstacles, the way, like, if we know what, if we, if we've decided what's on the other side of the mountain that we both want, we're willing to climb the mountain together.
0: Yeah. This is solid, Adrian. Oh my goodness. And we are coming to your hard stop and I want to be respectful of your time. So I'm going to have everything linked below. So yeah. The audience can find you, but you did mention that you've got an ebook that if they reach out to you, you'll send to them. Tell us about that ebook.
1: Sure. It's called the Change Imperative. Mm. Um, well, we do know that life is that it's always going to be changing. That's you know the inevitable thing about change is that it's always coming. So, um, and as a leader, um, to get people aligned, like to. To get people aligned and fighting, rowing in the same direction, if you will, towards that future that the change represents is not easy, right? It's complicated. And so most of the time, people either avoid and then get cavalier about things. Mm-hmm. And that's not what we have to do. That's just mm-hmm. what the human brain wants to do. Right. So the ebook is a way to illuminate the context. and By context, I mean the, um, the whole system of conversations that need to happen. Uh, between in, in yourself and your executive team and the the, t- the employees that work for there, uh work for the company. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you, which is, you know, the concert of conversations is code for culture, right? That's all culture is, is what, what right. we believe, don't believe, what we have permission to say, don't have permission to say who we like, who we don't like all those beliefs that show up in language is culture. And, and that those beliefs that show up in activity, that's culture. Mm-hmm. So it's a book on how to shift culture and how to actually lead your way through it and how to enroll people into a new future, which nobody wants to do. Right. People people (laughs) will typically, I mean, it's just human. We'd rather not have to leave the homestead and pioneer because there's fear out there. We don't know what's out there. We might fail. We might look like a fool. Right. Um, So nobody wants to leave the homestead. Mm -hmm. Um, But we must, if we're going to lead into the future, i.e. innovate, instead of just accept change and take it as it you know and live live in response to what the circumstances offer so the ebook is that it was actually written by my business partner back when he was negotiating the merger between espn and disney and through that work and what was illuminated about what was needed to make that happen um he wrote this for espn which they circulated to all their leaders all their employees because they loved it so much so it's um We've brought it back out. We've made it really beautiful. We've made it approachable. It's quite a long document, so it's thorough for people that want to
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, uh, want to really be. get into it. So if you're, if you're interested in that, you can message me about it. We'd love to just give it, give it to folks. We give it as a resource to our clients, but I'd love to give it to any of your listeners and people I that are up to it. this because you know we need to have tools. At the end of the day, um, conversation is the most unsharpened tool. Like, how do we talk about reality? How do we talk about the future? Because that's yeah. that's where the shift either happens or doesn't happen.
0: Perfect. So that's the change imperative. Yeah. I'll have that linked below with Adrian's contact information for, yeah. on LinkedIn, so you can reach out to him there. And also, if you want to know more about working with him, you can find him at taken, whoops, excuse me, takenewground.com yeah and mastercoachesacademy.com yeah adrian oh my goodness a wealth of information mm-hmm. i so appreciate just the authentic conversation that you brought to everyone that's going to be listening
1: oh well, th- thank you so much for having me on these are these are the types of conversations i always wanted to have like as a human being right like let can we talk about what's really going on here um in a way that's that is full of hope and acceptance and love and meaning. And um, so this is why I wake up in the morning and I'm thrilled to get to partner with people we work with to help them create what they want in their workplace, create what they want in their lives, and not just do what Kierkegaard said, which was like settle for a, dis- a level of despair that's tolerable and call it happiness, Right. which is the is happening, yeah, never not happening around humans. And it doesn't have to be that way. But it's really hard to do surgery on ourselves, mm-hmm. and uh, so we—I know for me, I need other people to help me see myself. Um, like somebody said the other day, the only, the instructions on how to get out of the box are outside the box. <laughs> so love we we need <laughs> this work. I need this work, and this is what makes life meaningful. So anybody that that uh, would like at least a conversation uh, yeah. to talk about what could happen in their lives if they got a hold of some of these combos, we'd love to talk. We've got an amazing team. That's very helpful and very skilled at helping people get through what they're what's happening now for the sake of something that's worth having. So thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: Oh, it's such a pleasure and come back anytime. I'd love yeah. to have you back.
1: I'd love it, I'd love it. You gotta think about interviewing Dan, he's brilliant.
0: Okay, sounds like a good idea to me. Boy, if he's anything like you, I know my audience will love him.
1: Oh, I'm Luke Skywalker, he's Obi-Wan. You wanna talk to him,
0: <laughs> he's the torch. Perfect, ooh, can I be Princess Leia?
1: yes oh yes she wore pajamas all the time
0: she did okay wait her and luke ended up being brother and sister so that's cool right
1: sure we can work that out
0: i'll be your sister
1: yeah done (laughs) awesome thanks sharon
0: thank you well hey friends thank you for being here once again i so appreciate you what did you think about that conversation with adrian i'm blown away i have pages of notes i learned so much from him I want to challenge you to pick something and implement it. And when you reach out to him and ask for the copy of the change imperative, that's that free resource he talked about right at the end, let him know that you heard him here and what you learned from this talk. I'm sure he would be thrilled to hear how it impacted your life. And hey, please share this content out. Let's help other people grow and get to the next level as well. And by the way, if you didn't know, my book, The Girl in the Garage, Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past, is about ready to come out. It will be debuting on January 2nd, and it has already hit the number one spot on Amazon in the inner child self-help category twice. So I'm pretty excited about that. So make sure that you pre-order your copy. And hey, I so appreciate you being here. So until next time, my friends, I wish you every
2: good thing.